Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this latest episode of Disrupt Podcast, brought to you by the team at Disrupt Africa. I'm Tom Jackson. And I'm Gabriella Mulligan. Each fortnight, Disrupt Podcast wraps up all the big news from Africa's startup ecosystems, plus exclusive interviews with special guests. Here are all the major developments from the last two weeks. signs of life in the African startup ecosystem beyond our recent fair of COVID-19 related developments and startups announcing funding rounds. The accelerator sector seems to be getting itself back on its feet, which was good news for Cameroon's Abegya and Nigeria's OJ Express, who were selected for US-based accelerators. Abegya, which gives customers instant mobile access to reliable service providers, has been selected to participate in the Mass Challenge Texas program, while OJ Express a digital platform that allows users to shop online for ethnic groceries, has gained acceptance into the Techstars Kansas City Accelerator. Various African programs are getting going again as well, after COVID put the stoppers on the space for a while. 83 country finalists have been selected for the third Mest Africa Challenge, which will award winners $50,000 in equity investment, while 10 South African startups have been selected to join the Venture Exploitation Program run by the UCT GSB Solutions Space. Orange Digital Ventures has launched a seed challenge for startups from Africa and the Middle East, while Ghana Tech Lab partnered GIZ and IBM to open applications for an AI-focused program. All of these programs and challenges will, of course, have to adapt to the new normal of social distancing and all that. Some interesting initiatives coming out of Nigeria in the last fortnight, especially in the fintech space. Digital banking startup Sparkle, launched by former Diamond Bank CEO Uzoma Dozi, aims to provide seamless solutions to individuals, SMEs, and retailers. An existing fintech, Kia Kia, launched a lending investment mobile app that allows users to invest in the funding of secured personal and business loans. Another startup, eDay Shop, launched a WhatsApp-based bot that helps shoppers find products, services, and institutions anywhere in the country. In Kenya, a company aptly called Raise has launched an end-to-end platform that allows founders and investors to, among other things, open a private virtual deal room, run fundraising simulations, and issue compliant electronic share and convertible certificates. There are certainly plenty of fundraisers out there, with startups defying the predicted COVID crunch to rake in the cash. Companies to have secured funding so far in June include Ethiopian food delivery startup Deliveradis and Egyptian online mental health platform Sheslong. Ugandan fintech startup Eversend raised over $700,000 in investment through a Cedars crowdfunding campaign. Meanwhile, the Benin Business Angels Network, launched last year, made its first investment in finder professional platform Ulomi. We'll hear from the Benin Angels later on. The biggest news came out of South Africa, however. The last couple of weeks saw e-health startup BusyMed secure backing, as well as fintech startups Merge, TrueID and Stickit. Another finance-focused company, peer-to-peer solar leasing platform SunExchange, was the biggest raiser of the lot. The company has secured $3 million investment as part of a broader $4 million Series A round to help its crypto-based solar energy financing solution explant to new markets in Africa. Tom caught up with founder and CEO Abe Cambridge to hear all about it. Abe Cambridge from Sun Exchange, welcome to Disrupt Podcast. Hey Tom, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Congratulations on closing the Series A round. It feels like it was a long time in the oven. 
yeah, I mean, it's about um, nine nine months actually, about as time it takes to, to, to create a human. Um, and about yeah, lots happened in, in the meantime, uh, including a, a COVID crisis which no one ever saw. So it took a little bit longer than expected, but um, yeah, it's it really exciting and delighted to to have placed it. Did it feel like it was being delayed, but even pre-COVID, or is this about the amount of time you expected? You know, these things always take longer than you ever ever plan. Um, and I mean, uh, Arch are a private equity fund, so they they've got extremely diligent processes to go through when placing an investment. Um, and so the you know, the process we went through with them was was extremely detailed. Um, so yeah, it, it did take longer than expected. To be honest, we were hoping to close it at the end of last year, um, but but here we go. It's just the way it, the way it goes, and you know, we've had our model validated, and now we've got the, the cash in the bank and to, to grow this to grow this uh, this company. Take me through the the whole deal and the whole anatomy of the deal. It's four million dollars. Who are the investors? How did how did you make connections to these guys? So um, Arch uh, Emerging Capital Partners, um, they are uh, they've invested in renewable energy companies. Um, we are their second investment. Um, they invested in a company called Cross Boundary um, earlier in the year. Um, so their their primary objective is to have um, is to solve the energy crisis of Africa, which is ours. So we've got mutual interests, um, and they so they place three million dollars in equity um, into some exchange alongside a number of private uh, impact investors, um, and we wrapped up. Um, some of our outstanding safes um, and convertible notes into the same Series A round. Um, so, yeah, that basically brought the, up to a four million um, round Series A in the end. Um, yeah, so it's pri- private, some private investors um, uh, and Alphabet, which is a cryptocurrency hedge fund, and, um, and, and Arch were the, were the main investors. You've tried lots of or various different types of fundraising over the last couple of years. Um, obviously, equity funding, crowdfunding, and ICO. I mean, what, what accounted for that strategy? I mean, was it just uh, you know spread the net as far as far and wide as you possibly could? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be completely candid, we've always been running an equity round. Um, the, the The reality is that you've got to keep all your options open, um, and things like crowdfunding are fantastic because you can um, you know, raise reasonable sums of money through you know through the public um, and the ICO was an obviously great opportunity for us to to grow our community and, and also build a, a token which is now used usable on our platform um, whilst also raising money um, but, in the, in, but on the side we've always been uh, running doing an equity round so um, that's that's I, I think in, in hindsight we should probably have been best to have, have held on to right doing an equity round um, until now. Um, I think the the message that we we've, we've been putting across when when raising money can sometimes get diluted when when you are doing several things like we are doing a crowdfunding campaign and doing an ICO um, and raising equity at the same time can can dilute the message um, and and of course the platform itself people can buy solar panels as an investment through um, so it, it, if I was going to draw any lessons from this it would have been to probably have just focused on on one thing specifically. Um, and then and then moved on to the next, but that, that's that's what the way it is, and we got here. So uh, uh, no 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 uh, no regrets. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I'm interested in your experiences of these alternative um, financing models. I mean, I, I think you had varying degrees of success. The, the crowdfunding campaign um, went reasonably well, but you ended up returning the cash. Is that right? Yeah, we didn't hit the our overall target, but we passed the milestone that would consider the the project and the campaign a success. Um, the only thing that that, that so it went wrong, but was un, un, unforeseen, was obviously COVID. Um, the, to, to close, once you've raised the money through a platform like Uprise Africa, which is the the crowdfunding platform you're referring to, 
Um, we raised 4.6 million. And then once you've raised that money, those are just pledges. Like no one's actually purchased shares yet. They've, they've pledged to purchase shares. And then you then have to draw up all the agreements um, and have them registered with SARS and, and through um, SIPSI, the, the company's um, regulator in South Africa. Um, and that process takes months. And especially we've actually got a fairly complex company structure, such as we have a, a US-based hold co. So we had to set up um, a, a trust structure in, well, Uprise had to set up a trust and a South African company and then and basically get that whole structure approved by Saab. And obviously, by the time we had all those documents prepared, um, COVID hit and all the government departments shut down. And so what was um, you know, likely to be a four-month process then turned into a six-month process. And now the government departments still aren't back to work. There's still no certainty on when we could, we could have concluded that round. So Uprise took the, the, the difficult, but I believe to be the correct decision, to just refund everybody because we, it's unfair to hold on to people's uh, money for an unknown period of time, especially when they've been so patient already. So it was, it was unfortunate. Um, especially as we were looking forward to having all those people um, as part of our community, as partners, um, and they've, they've now uh, received refunds. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame, but it's just part of the complexity of, of working with, with innovative um, uh, financing mechanisms like through um, Uprise. I mean, there's ways that these kind of these processes can be smoothed over time to ensure that these kind of situations don't happen. Yeah, obviously, had COVID not have happened, there's no doubt in my mind that the, all of the registrations to share share certificates would have been concluded and everyone would have now been issued their shares. But um, here we are at stage three uh, in South Africa. There's, there's rumours we're going back to stage five. So yeah, there's really no way of knowing what, what, what that curveball could have thrown at us. Um, and you know, it, yeah, so that, that's just a reality. You, know, you never know what's around the corner. Um, but we, we do know that, um, that had, had the projects have gone ahead, um, then we would have, all the people with their shares would now have them. And, and, and there's benefits of crowdfunding campaigns aside from receiving cash. I mean, do, do, you, do you see sort of benefits from a marketing perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got um, a, a very active um, and a, a very active community behind Sun Exchange who uh, really wanted to be to be part of it uh, and be a shareholder. Um, so it really was it was great to give them the opportunity to be part of it, um, which then obviously incentivizes them to become advocates for the platform. Um, and almost be, become ambassadors because they're, they're co-owners. Uh, so to bring in new community into that was uh, was really powerful. And obviously to get the you know, the message of Sun Exchange across to new audiences through the, the marketing that one and one inevitably does through promoting crowdfunding campaign. So our community certainly grew as a result of doing that that crowdfunding campaign. And that was obviously that was one of the one of the reasons for doing that. Absolutely. You also ran an initial coin offering at the. The height of what I'll call call the uh, the ICO fad or Vogue. Um, how did that go, and what kind of learnings did you take away from that? So we obviously started planning our token in. I say obviously. Well, we we did start to plan our token in 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 August two thousand and seventeen, uh, right after just as we're coming to the end of textiles, the um, incubation program, um, and at the time the ICO boom hadn't really started, but we just knew that. Um, the set, the exchange platform was was ideally suited to having its own token, and that there were people around the world that were very excited to be able to purchase a token that could be part an integral part of of that platform. So we started to design what the token would look like, um, but in the meantime, there was this boom happening, and because we already had a platform running, 
um, when we were selling our token, people were looking at the platform that we had built and the speed in which it was uh, being developed, but then comparing that to these wild, amazing dreams of, of, uh, of marketing campaigns and platforms that didn't exist. Uh, and for the uninitiated, um, it looks like those companies are best than Sun Exchange or Cooler because because their because their vision was being marketed so so wonderfully, um, but with actually no product behind it. Um, but because we actually had a real working platform, um, it's kind of it it almost almost worked against us. Um, it's quite bizarre. Um, and ultimately, in January two thousand eighteen, when the with the crypto that particular bubble burst of the crypto market, um, we had to we had a considerable slowdown in, in token purchases. Um, but ultimately, we we sold over a million dollars worth of tokens, um, and that's the next token does now exist. Um, the functionality or part of the functionality is already active and live on the Sign Change platform, so people have VIP access. They're accumulating discounts in the background, um, and I know for a fact that people have been trading them peer to peer on on, on decentralized exchanges. So, uh, for all intents and purposes, that was also a success in our mind, given given the the environment. Do you think the ICO era is over, or will there be a resurgence at some I, point? I, I think there's going to be a resurgence, but in a different form. I think the era of um, of ICO with, with equity, so security token offerings, will become common. So, um, I mean, I, I'd like to think that Sun Exchange would do a equity, to- equity token in the future. Um, I don't know when or how, but um, I, I, would, I would like to see that happen because I think equity tokens are, are would be an incredible breakthrough in terms of global. Uh, decentralized finance because you then have a token that represents ownership of, uh, of, a, of a company which is traded instantly in between asset classes so you could basically swap a, a tokenized solar cell um, with a tokenized share of Sun Exchange and then swap that with an Apple stock you know it's um, once you've tokenized equity onto a universal unit like on an ERC20 token for example then everything at that point is interchangeable 24 hours a day and that, that would do wonders for, for, for for, for liquidity um, across markets. Right. Um, p- part of the Sun Exchange story, crypto has been central to that, marrying crypto with uh, alternative energy and creating a you know one of the coolest businesses around. I mean, is, is cryptocurrency still central to what it is you're doing or have you sort of yeah. moved a little uh, yeah. bit away from that now? Not at all. I mean, in, in, in anything, it's even more important now. Um, I mean, the fact that during the COVID lockdown, bank branches were closed and for anyone to send money using an old-fashioned remittance system, uh, I know in, uh, in South Africa, I've literally had to queue with pen and paper forms um, to send money overseas. That wouldn't have been possible during the lockdown. But with uh, with cryptocurrency, it can't be turned off. So people have been free to send and receive payments instantly uh, with no delays. Um, so it's kind of highlighted the resilience of the cryptocurrency system because it doesn't rely on centralized service providers. Um, and and likewise, people who are unbanked can still use cryptocurrency. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of it's highlighted the, the the chinks in the armor of the dimensional finance system um, and the ease in which transactions can take place, especially when people are at home in front of their computers. Um, and, and also, the microscopic payments of of the of Bitcoin is is also um, very very important. So the fact that we can offer a single solar cell priced at around five dollars to a customer who can then lease that for twenty years, the money they actually receive each month is absolutely microscopic. You know, you're talking thousandths of a US cent month or thereabouts. Um, and it, with Bitcoin, it is possible to send that that kind of sum of money. Um, if we were to use a conventional tra- uh, remittance service, um, the, the the buy-in price for a solar cell wouldn't work. 
um, the, 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 the minimum amount of money you need to send through those networks is not compatible with the microscopic nature of what we're doing. But that microscopic nature makes it usable to everybody. You know, it, it reduces that, that barrier to entry to becoming a solar power producer. Yeah, and that's one of the criticisms of mobile money in Africa, isn't it? It hasn't quite managed to handle those micro, real micro payments. Exactly, micro, but also universal. So there are so many alternatives. So mobile money providers tend to only work within their own country, um, and there's so many different options and, 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 uh, and, and competitors. But Bitcoin is universal. It's used by, it can be used by everybody in every country, um, because it's, you know, it can, anyone can stop a Bitcoin wallet and, and, receive, and receive Bitcoin. It's a universal payment system. And we've got, we've got customers on something exchange from 160 countries, all of which can transact with Bitcoin and sell it for their own currency um, without, without friction. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I love the technology. And that's really what, how, why we base ourselves on it. And we've often been asked, well, why don't you accept Ethereum or, or Ripple or, or, some, or some other coin? But our response to that is, well, as soon as Bitcoin is not the most used cryptocurrency, we will use whatever replaces it. But the fact is that Bitcoin is still number one. It's got the most liquidity. Um, it's the most secure. And, and, well, and until that stops being the case, we'll continue to use Bitcoin. Um, presumably, at some point, you'll be seeking Series B and Series C and all this kind of stuff. I mean, how do you look at the, the funding environment post-COVID? Are we expecting a slowdown? Well, we're, we've obviously just closed um, a finance round after nine months of work. So right now, it's, it, we're taking our, our gloves off and getting to work um, and, and scaling, this, scaling this baby up. Um, we ultimately will move on to a Series B, um, which gives a bit of a breathing space for the, for the fundraising team. Uh, but I mean, obviously, we're, we're not going to achieve our mission of connecting the world to the sun uh, with this one investment. It's going to take continual growth, a lot of hard work, and then, and then more capital raise in the future. To, to get that, I mean, we're, we're targeting about 10 megawatts of installed capacity um, by ne the end of next year, uh, but we want to be doing orders of magnitude above that in the next five years. So that ultimately will require further injections of capital. But fortunately, this um, uh, this investment from Arch has, has validated our model and shown um, that our, our model stands up to scrutiny, and the product we're, we've delivered and is and are operating is is vital uh, in, especially when it comes to a post COVID nineteen world where. Energy is scarce. Businesses are looking to cut their costs in innovative ways, and our, our solar leasing solution allows that to happen. Do you think it'll be a struggle, um, given the economic situation post coronavirus, to for startups to, to raise money in the same way you just have done? I, I say it depends on what what industry they're in. Uh, some industries are flourishing. Um, I mean, look at the uh, teleconferencing sector and, and healthcare and, and that kind of thing. So it depends on what business you're in. Uh, we've not seen a slowdown. Uh, we've seen an uptick in people using our platform, and obviously we just closed this investment um, at, at the peak of the crisis. So I guess it, it's it's sector dependent, um, but it may be that um, the institutional investors may be un less willing to impart with capital in this time, whilst markets are uncertain. But that's not to say that the uh, individuals around the world um, would share the same um, feeling. So it may be that crowdfunding and those kind of things would are are the, the preferable way to go. Um, they get more, more joy out of them. Abe there, suggesting alternative forms of funding may take on a heightened importance for African startups post-COVID as more traditional funding channels are squeezed. 
from alternative funding sources to alternative markets. Next, we're going to take a look at a relatively little looked at market, Benin. Yes, not too much attention on Benin today, but it did make headlines last week with the country's first angel investing group making its first investment worth $20,000 that was into local professionals marketplace, Ulomi. I spoke to Medea Degbe, president of the Benin Business Angels Network, about the Beninese ecosystem and the angel investing landscape in the country. What's the network's target in terms of levels of investment you want to achieve? You know me, uh, as a matter of fact, is, is the first one. And as you know, the first one, so many times it's, it's, it's most challenging ones. But usually our target of investing in each of the startups uh, is, is around 25K. And I was saying uh, for the largest one, it would be around 50 to 60K. And um, so with the number of, uh, with our current constituency, uh, we, are, we are projecting each year to go at least with uh, somewhere around 100,000 to 150,000 uh, investment. Um, so that, that's our challenge. Uh, that's, that's our projection. And we, we, I mean, this year, we, we are fairly confident to, to reach the objective. Uh, given the, the, the deals that we already have the, in the pipelines and also our, uh, our members that which are really are ready to, to move forward. Benin is a market we don't hear too much about. Can you tell us a bit more about the startup ecosystem there? I mean, Benin, uh, and this is quite true for most of the French-speaking ecosystems, uh, we, we may be at an earlier stage and um, the our our English counterparts. Uh, Benin is a uh, market um, average in what twelve million uh, people. Um, and what is good with our ecosystem is just like our our entrepreneurs. I mean, most most of our young people they have the chance to. I mean to go quite far in the education, so they are quite educated. Um, the challenge is just like uh, when it comes to tech ecosystem, there are, few, there, there are a couple of gaps in terms of uh, actual technical knowledge. And obviously, when it comes to uh, digital marketing, those kind of things, we are, we are still lagging. Um, so it, it's most of our startups are at the end. They are early stage. Um, we, I mean, in our world, we envision is basically we will have two to three years of early uh, earlier stage startups, and coming in. Uh, I mean, when we go, we move forward in three or four years. Those startups basically our goals have uh, some startups that are ready for la- a larger investment. If the market is a twelve million population, is it big enough to support a a thriving startup ecosystem, or does it depend necessarily on expanding outside of the country? The worst French-speaking countries, what we have, and uh, one of the I mean, basic advantages that we have is uh, we have an, um, a regional integration, and that may be key uh, to the expansion. So Benin, uh, it's, it's a stamp, as we see it, it's a sandbox, uh, to try new ideas that can uh, can that can be pushed forward in, in the, the neighboring countries. So 
uh, uh, if we are talking about ECOWAS, for, for example, ECOWAS uh, is large with what um, around uh, uh, ten countries. Uh, the overall uh, market is more about two two hundred million to three hundred million. Um, we also have um, uh, an accounting um, and an accounting integration in the in the region as well. So, I mean, the, the overall, as we see it, uh, Benin is more as a sandbox uh, and getting the feet wet in the in the overall market and then testing ideas. And once those ideas are, can thrive, uh, we will be able to expand them in the region. Are angel investors common in Benin? Oh, it's not. <laughs> this is all new. Um, so, uh, I mean, our our big part of our, our our work is making sure that we are communicating, uh, that we, we are we are educating our members, that we are educating the general public, because uh, this is key to our successes. Um, I, I mean, people. I used to invest in uh, the f- a brother or the cousin uh, initiatives or startup business, uh, but angel investing as of uh, as in pulling funds for and putting I mean five ten people putting funds into a startup um, that's quite new. Uh, but I mean, we, we, we can, we can find like-minded people and all we need, we don't need, uh, at this point, we don't need 500 people. We just need to make sure that, I mean, the members that we are recruiting, uh, they can understand what we are doing and that we can have, uh, a couple successes that can talk to us, uh, that, that can talk to the general people. Um, our constituency at this point, most of the, the members, they are, I say relate, uh, relatively young, uh, say around 40 to 50. Uh, and many of them are working in tech, uh, in, in tech businesses, or the they are tech professionals. Uh, so they are really, um, they, are, they, they can understand what we are trying to achieve here. And they, they are quite close to it already. So, um, I, the trick here is make, uh, making sure that we, we can start with people uh, that are already into the mindset that we are looking for uh, so we can move fast. And once we, we've made a couple successful ideals, basically the, our success will, will talk uh, for us. Is the government and regulatory landscape supportive of angel investing and of startups more generally? Uh, this this conversation is quite new in the country in general. Uh, we at this point we don't have um, specific regulations uh, re- regarding investing or angel investing, if I may say. Uh, we have uh, more general uh, investing uh, regulation that that apply or do not apply to what we are trying to do. Uh, so the, the whole thing, the whole discussion for us is making sure that we are nimble and that we 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 find uh, we find the terms that are right for what we are trying to do, and that may come with I mean doing things that are not seen usually in other ecosystem. Uh, 
but the other, other the other part is also in our membership we have people who are close to decision decision makers, and so we are push we are pushing for policies that um, that uniquely um, I, I, I will adapt to what we are trying to do. Uh, but we are not there yet. What needs to be done to boost the Beninese ecosystem so we can have more great news from your country? We believe that we have some entrepreneurs that are ambitious, that are that have great, uh, great goals, and they need uh, to be accompanied uh, with the right tools. Um, and with those tools, is are financing, um, mentoring, uh, so, in parallel to what we are doing with Piban at this point, um, we are also working for an impact fund, uh, which should, should make its first investment uh, this year. Uh, so, the financing part has been an handicap for many years, uh, a harder for many years. Uh, so, we are working hard so we can, I mean, have a few investment. Uh, so a few investment instruments by uh, in the coming in the coming years. Uh, in addition to that, um, uh, I really believe, as a matter of fact, I really believe in the first success. So the way it works is just like to generate attention. You need one or two, uh, two that really make the news, and one or two startups that make the news and. That, that can prove to to the larger public that uh, it's a I mean it's a, it's a valuable ecosystem and that I mean we we, we can push forward uh, using that success to attract more funding and attract uh, more investors. So, so that's what we are doing right now, and uh, uh, the overall goal I'd say is um, putting the right tools in place. Uh, during the next 24 months so we can, I mean, have something that is sustainable. Pitch the pod. I'm Daisy, co-founder of Rounder, a three-year-old South African prop tech startup. Rounder is an app for real estate agencies and their agents. On the one hand, it's a productivity and client communication tool for agents, and on the other, a performance monitoring and analytics platform for agencies and enterprises, which is a first for the industry. The state agencies employ a lot of people and currently have only one marker for measuring their effectiveness, sales. With Rounder, agencies gain vital insights into their agents' work, trends, revenue forecasts, and more. We're currently beta testing with a number of agencies and our products have been received really well by the industry. We are officially endorsed by industry players Uber Home Loans and STPB. We have our own scalable in-house dev team based in India and our business is registered in Mauritius. We are backed by a UK-based VC and are in our third round of funding. We've spent $250,000 to get where we are and we're looking for $300,000 based on a valuation of $2 million. That's it for the latest episode of Disrupt Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As ever, make sure you tell your friends and colleagues to check out Disrupt Podcast on their favorite podcasting platform. We'll see you again next time. In the meantime, stay safe. Bye. Bye.